Let us pray. Holy and eternal God, we offer to you this time our words, our worship, our prayers. We offer it all to you and pray that you would use it for your glory. This we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. In Mark Twain's imagination, two boys, Tom Sawyer and Ben Rogers, had a discussion about how to become highwaymen. Their intent was to rob stagecoaches, and they had the notion that perhaps they would also add on a few ransoms of the passengers. Tom had seen something about ransoms in a book once upon a time, but the truth was neither boy really knew what a ransom was or how it worked. It is then that Tom remarks, well, Ben Rogers, if I was as ignorant as you are, I wouldn't let on. Jack Worthing is the protagonist in the play The Importance of Being Earnest. Jack has an imaginary brother named Ernest, who is his excuse to dash out of town whenever he wishes. Ernest finds that he has fallen in love with Gwendolyn, and they have this exchange. She says, Ernest, we may never be married. From the expression on Mama's face, I fear we never shall. Few parents nowadays regard what their children say to them. The old-fashioned respect for the young is fast dying out. Whatever influence I had over Mama, I lost at the age of three. But although she may prevent us from becoming man and wife, I may marry someone else and may marry often, but nothing she can do can possibly alter my eternal devotion to you. He responds, dear Gwendolyn. Then she continues, the story of your romantic origin as related to me by my mama with unpleasing comments has naturally stirred the deeper fibers of my nature. Your Christian name has an irresistible fascination. The simplicity of your character makes you exquisitely incomprehensible to me. Some insults are designed for a laugh, such as quips about ignorance or simplicity of character. Good friends may routinely insult each other, trading light-hearted barbs as a form of amusement. And we know that prodding and provoking the competition in a game is standard form. With trust and frivolity, insults might be funny, except when they're not. Insults can carry and inflict great weight. According to the prophet Malachi, God is insulted and is not at all amused. Malachi is the last in the Book of Twelve, the Minor Prophets, which has been our focus this summer. We are nearing the end. Next week is the last sermon in this series. As we have listened to some of these prophets, such as Amos, Micah, and Habakkuk, we have heard calls for repentance and social justice, 
We have seen the people cry out to God. The criticisms and challenges are harsh, yet underneath and throughout, the prophetic word, God's covenantal love is evident. The goal of the prophets is not to destroy the people with incessant criticism, but instead to help the people reform and return to the God who loves them. Ultimately, Malachi goes in a similar direction, but first he needs to say why God is insulted. The book's style is argumentative. There is rapid-fire dialogue in which God accuses the people of misdeeds and the people accuse God of neglect. This is not friendly banter. It is pointed barbs. The people targeted for this confrontation are the priests, whose actions are particularly tangible. The priests are accused of bringing sick animals and polluted food as an offering to God, to God, the Lord God Almighty. This is explicitly prohibited in the Torah. For instance, in Deuteronomy, there is the instruction, every firstling male born of your herd and flock, you shall consecrate to the Lord your God. But if it has any defect, any serious defect, any lameness or blindness, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. The gifts the priests were offering to God were far from their best, and God is insulted. Imagine taking a gift of food to a neighbor as a sign of a welcome to the neighborhood kind of gift, or taking something to a dear friend who is ill and recuperating. A gift of brownies would be a lovely thing, a lovely gesture, unless they're burnt, unless it's offered on a plate that's dirty, unless the few unburnt brownies have a bite out of them, and maybe you still have a few crumbs on your shirt. That's not a gift. That's an insult. The lame offerings of the priests would be disrespectful at any time, but they are particularly disrespectful at Malachi's time. While the dating of the book is not entirely certain, it's likely that it was written after the exile. Earlier prophets had warned of the exile, which would punish the people for their unfaithfulness. Now the Babylonian exile is over, and the people have returned to Israel. They returned with high hopes. Home, rebuilt temple, freedom to worship, a fresh start. All is good. Unfortunately, it wasn't long before the corruption and unfaithfulness that was present prior to the exile was just as evident after the exile. The people had not changed. The people and the priests are offering God their runty animals while perhaps keeping the best food for their Sunday dinner. 
in leveling an accusation against the people, God says, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not wrong? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not wrong? Try presenting that to your governor. Will he be pleased with you or show you favor? That sounds to me like God is insulted. God is saying, you offer me, the ruler of all creation, the worst of what you have, but you would not dare do that to your earthly ruler, your governor, the temporary ruler. The prophet is incensed, and God is insulted that the priests would offer anything but their best to God. Now, aren't you glad that this is directed to the priests, to the worship leaders? You should feel good about that. I feel chastised by this. I mean, it's good that we're not offering animal sacrifices. That would be a messy business. But we are responsible for leading worship. And I know how many times I've tripped over my own tongue and the moments when my brain and mouth are temporarily disconnected. I hear the challenge of not offering my best to God. But I like to share. It's a challenge I want to share with all of you. For none of us are off the hook. We have heard First Peter describe us as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. All of us together are a royal priesthood. This text in First Peter, among others, affirms the priesthood of all believers, an affirmation that was highlighted during the Protestant Reformation. We have one high priest, Jesus Christ, and all of us can equally approach our Lord without need of an additional intermediary. Likewise, we are equally called to live and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our baptism and confirmation, we promise to be disciples of Jesus. Each of us, all of us, The sacrament of baptism sends us all on a mission to love and serve God and neighbor, that together we might be a light to the nations. We are all priests, all servants of one God. So Malachi challenges all of us to ask, are we offering our best to God? I can't answer that question for you because there is no one-size-fits-all. I will suggest, however, that if you feel restless in God's presence, if your gut churns a bit, if your heart skips a beat and your eye notices additional opportunities, or you hear the refrain of a particular verse of Scripture, then it may be that God is at work in you. Perhaps you need to pay attention. Maybe a conversation with another Christian will bring insight. It could be you need to pray and listen. God calls each of us 
in a variety of ways. Sometimes stories help us to discern. In the Gospel of Mark, we hear the story of Jesus teaching in the temple. Jesus saw the scribes and Pharisees walking around in fine clothing and sitting at places of honors. And while they looked good on the outside and said long, no doubt elegant prayers, Jesus had little use for them. He said they were devouring the widows' houses. Later, when Jesus was sitting around watching people put money in the treasury, and isn't that an intimidating thought of Jesus just sitting and watching what is being offered? He saw rich people put in large sums of money into the treasury, and then he saw a poor widow put in two copper coins. Jesus did not praise the big givers, but instead honored the woman who put in two small coins because she gave all that she had. She gave her best. In this passage from the Gospel of Mark, we see that a sacrificial gift is lifted up, but it also reminds us that God looks upon the heart, not the outward appearance. Others watching that scene in the temple may have focused on the large gifts and not noticed the actions of a poor widow. We can't judge the gifts or service of another because we don't know the full story. A friend of mine, Rose, is a long-distance runner, a lifelong runner. Here is one of her favorite running stories. Rose was out for her usual long run on a Saturday, and she was running in midday, in the summer, in Arkansas. On this hot summer day, she was running as hard as she could and earning a substantial workout. In church the next day, a young boy called out to her and said, Hi, Miss Rose. I saw you out walking yesterday. Walking, she thought. The boy couldn't see the effort that Rose was exerting. Emily was a member of a church I served some years ago. She was dedicated to the congregation's major mission of hosting a high-quality, low-cost daycare center. She served on the board of the daycare center and advocated for it whenever she could. One day as we were talking, Emily said that she felt that the best way she could help the daycare center was to earn more money. She is a talented professional in the finance industry who is capable of earning additional income. Emily saw that what the child care center needed was not necessarily her service on the board, but was funds to continue the highly subsidized child care. If you looked at her life from the outside, you might wonder why she wanted to make more money. The truth was, she felt called to make more money to be able to give it away. Offering our best to God takes many forms. There is not just one right way. Even in our own lives, in different seasons of our lives, our offerings can take different forms. 
So no matter what we offer, we can still strive to make it our best. Jesus said the widow who offered two small coins gave everything she had. Gave everything. Perhaps that's the real key. Not holding back what we think is too much of a sacrifice to offer. Scripture teaches us that we are to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, to love God with everything that we have is not really a sacrifice. To love with everything or to offer everything when we realize that what we have already came from God and belongs to God. We belong to God. We don't need to and can't hold anything back because what we have and who we are is already God's and will always be God's. We belong to God. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. The best we can offer to God is ourselves, trusting, unafraid, grateful. We offer ourselves to, for God to use as God will. And in those moments when we can do this, we discover the welcome of God's covenantal love. Thanks be to God. Amen.